Good morning. Y'all good? Are y'all ignoring me already? Good morning. Yes. Colleen Garday just walked in going, yes, she's been ignoring me for years. That one there. So, um, man, do you have a lot of sick friends right now? I know half my half my little group's not even here today. Everyone's uh, their kids are kind of cruddy and they've gotten cruddy. And so it's the change of weather. We don't know what to do. Um, but anyway, uh, are there any announcements, Cindy, or anything? We're good. Um, don't y'all like my shirt? That's my friend Mia Kane's shirt. Um, it says, don't lose hope. So she has a song that I love. Um, and it's the, basically it says, press in, press on, and never lose hope. And so when we travel together, that song is so perfect with my story because I tell everybody, you know, when times get hard, that's not the time to run, it's the time to press in. You press in, even if you have to yell at him, it's okay. God's a big boy. But you press in, because that's where all the good stuff is. And when you can, and you may not be able to do this alone, and that's why we need uh, the body of Christ, you might need a girlfriend on each side of you standing you up until you can stand alone, but you press on. We press on, and when we do that, we tell our story, even in brokenness, because God uses that. You know, in Revelations 21, it says that how do you defeat the enemy? The blood of the Lamb, the Gospel, and the power of your testimony. And you can do that through brokenness, trust me. I'm the one that had a nervous breakdown on stage. And I got to see what God could do through that. And so you press on and you put one foot in front of the other and you keep going. And um, I remember in all of my pain, I thought, oh, I, I'm never gonna be able to teach Bible study. And so I just decided I would just keep showing up until t someone told me I couldn't. And no one ever told me I couldn't. So I just kept showing up. And so you press on and in the end, what? Don't lose hope. Because our hope is alive. He is a living hope. His name is Jesus. And um, so I'm so glad about that. I am stressed about this morning because I can't believe I picked this book to teach. <laughs> so I had to put this t-shirt on because I'm just telling you, this is a lot. And um, I have prayed so hard this morning that God would speak through my lips and that he would make what seems so much to me and so difficult, uh, simple, coming out of my mouth. That I would give enough um, breadcrumbs for those who want to follow them into the depths, because <laughs> it's the depths, um, to take that. But for those who just need an overall word of encouragement today, that I'd be able to back up and give you that as well. And so it's a lot. I do know that God put me in this book because I tried to avoid it at all costs. And I personally need to be in this book. So I'm really glad, but it's a lot. So y'all need to be praying for me throughout the week because the smartest theologians in the world argue about things about this book. And I'm just a girl who loves Jesus and loves the Bible. And I do my best to teach it. So um, at the end of the day, though, we win. I can tell you that. I'm so glad about that. We win. 
Um, if you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, uh, that cannot be shut down. There is no stopping it. What God began at the cross and the resurrection, it, it is the kingdom of God. It will never be shut down, and I'm a part of it. And one day, I'm going to see it all come to fruition. I can tell you that. I could just pass the plate now. That's the whole, that's the whole lesson. But how about we just sing a little bit, and I don't even care if it's bad. Okay, we just need a little something, something. And, you know, we do this a cappella. That is a horrible way to do it. Uh, maybe not. I mean, we'll just see how we sound. So stand up and sing with me a little bit. Let's just, uh, let's see if I can start it out. It's so funny because this morning I was praying with Cindy and she said, are you going to sing a little bit this morning? I said, I don't think so. And she said, well, I go, well, what would I sing? She goes, how about I raise a hallelujah? I'm like, okay. And then I said, I don't know. Then I come back and Weston goes, you going to sing a little bit this morning? I said, I don't think so. I said, I can't even think of a worship song. My brain's so full. I said, well, what, what idea do you have? And he goes, I raise a hallelujah. I'm like, well, I guess we better raise a hallelujah. So let's see if I can do it, okay? I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Well, I'm gonna sing yeah, in the middle of a storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah. The darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah. Fear you lost your hold on me. Well, I'm gonna sing in the middle of a storm louder and louder. You're gonna hear. Hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. That's good. That's all I got. Have a seat. All right. Hey, Weston, what was that line about mystery? Pull that up. I sing a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. Oh, that's a good, all of that, that was perfection, what we sang right now, because, yeah, there's a lot of mystery, and I would love to be able to explain it all to you, but I can't, so we're going to do the best we can. I'm going to ask Jesus to uh, help me out this morning, we'll open up and get started.
Lord, I just um, lift up this morning to you. And God, I pray that you would remove all stress from me. And um, Lord, I've spent my time with you, studying your word, looking into such mystery, such beauty, beauty. God, you are all powerful. You are the true absolute. That's what you are. You are outside of your creation. You are absolutely in control. And I just find great peace in that. And so, God, I just show up here a girl who loves you and loves your word, and I pray that you would speak through me and that I would just be able to um, speak truth but open up deep interest in the word of God for these women to dig in themselves and to see what we're a part of. Your kingdom has come through Jesus, your death and resurrection. You blew the doors wide open. And yes, we will see this rock grow into the great mountain that fills the whole earth. And yet, God, as we live in the reality, this inner reality of of the kingdom of heaven, as we play that out on on this earth uh, today, God, I still look forward to the fruition of this in the complete when you will make all things new. And so, God, just walk us through this amazing story Point us in all the different directions of the symbolism and um, just speak personally to each woman's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so open up to Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to read a little bit of it so that you're reminded of the story. Starting in verse 25, it said, Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to them, to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers, can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven. Circle that word, but. That's the best word ever. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than any all, than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, behold a great image. The image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly iron and partly clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out of out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. 
This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule, ruler over them. Rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, crushes it shall break and crush all things. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God is made known to the king. What shall be after this? The dream is certain and its interpretation sure." Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. There you go. All right, so I'm just going to start where we left off. All right, so at this point, Daniel informs Arioch that he knows the mystery, right? And so... Arioch then takes him in. Think about this. Wouldn't that have been a risk? I mean, you think about that. I mean, he was commanded to perform a task. He was not commanded to think. And yet, here he is, and he gives Daniel time. He tells Daniel the situation. If this goes bad, how's this going to work out for Arioch? Not so good. It's probably going to be his neck too. Not only does he take him in personally, but what does he take credit for? Finding him, right? So, I mean, he's, he's pretty confident in Daniel. Um, the king declares, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Um, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen its interpretation? So he answers, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but, but what? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he will make known to the king what will be in the latter days. So the fact is, last time we talked about some things. We don't know the future. Man cannot know the future, but who can? God. God knows the future. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. Are you familiar with Psalm 139? 
Let's read it just for kicks. How about that? Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Does that scare anybody else? I mean, we filter. Y'all don't think I filter, but we do filter. Can you imagine? He knows our thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind before and lay your hand over me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. He is all knowing. And let me tell you, his knowledge, his knowledge is immediate. It's comprehensive. He didn't have to go to school. He didn't have to study. He knows the beginning from the end. And I'm going to tell you what, it is also, it does not deteriorate. Aren't you glad? Let me ask you, how much have you forgotten? <laughs> I study all the time. And there are things like you just, you can't contain it all. You forget. You know, I, I love it. Um, someone was, you know, I give Southern Baptists sometimes a hard time uh, growing up a little legalistic. But I will tell you this. Um, some of the other denominations, if they remembered all that Southern Baptists have forgotten, they'd be okay because they taught me a lot of stuff. And But along the years, we forget. We forget stuff. If you don't stay in it, I taught math forever, but what, what happens? If I don't stay in it, if I don't study it, I have to go back and study my brains out in order to tutor it again. That is not God. God's all knowledge is it's immediate it is absolutely comprehensive and it does not deteriorate he sees it all he sees it all at once he exists outside of time so man does not know the future god does he knows the beginning from the end but the future is made known to us by god he makes known the future to daniel no man knows but god but he will make known. God wants to make known to us part of the future. A limited amount. Why? Because we couldn't handle it. That's why. We couldn't handle it. And the reason he makes known to us part of the future is because by making known part of the future, he makes himself known. He makes himself known as God. Um, for example, he would, he's told them all throughout. He told Jacob, he's told these exiles, you're going to go into captivity, but one day I'm going to what? I'm going to bring you out. And so they were told in advance. So when that happens, what does it reveal? The truth about God, that he is real, that he is there. Um, what about the promise of God in Genesis chapter three, we find out a redeemer's coming. Right, And then starting in about Genesis chapter 12, we find out that that Redeemer's coming through the family of who? Abraham. And then later on in the Samuels, we find out that he is also going to come through the line of David. And the more we know, right, the more God is revealed to us and the more we trust him because what, there are a lot of promises that have yet to be fulfilled, one being that God is coming back. Biblical prophecy 
is unreal. Do you remember how I talked about uh, the generalities that people use when they predict the future? You know, remember me talking about that? Like, um, and it, yeah, I mean, you look back and the generality, they're so general, they could have been predicting a lot of things. But do you realize that biblical prophecy is unreal? A fourth of the Bible is prophecy. Anyone can make predictions. But it's another thing for them to come true, especially when you add details. Because when you add more and more and more details, what happens? You add risk. And, other, and so basically, you call that compound probability. You're making it more and more and more difficult for all of those things to come true. Jewish prophets predicted over 300 prophecies about Jesus. I'm going to give you 16. Okay, you ready? This is just 16. What is the probability that even just the 16 would be correct? The Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 Born into the tribe of Judah Genesis 49.10 His ministry would begin not in Jerusalem but in the Galilee Isaiah 9.1 He would work miracles Isaiah 35.5 and 6 he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. He would be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41.9. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11.12. He would be wounded and bruised, Isaiah 53.5. His hands and feet would be pierced. Psalms twenty two sixteen. He would be crucified with thieves. Isaiah fifty three twelve. His garments would be torn, and lots would be cast for them. Psalm twenty two eighteen. No bones of his would be broken. Psalm thirty four twenty. His side would be pierced. Zechariah 12.10. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53.9. And he would rise from the dead. Psalm 16.10. Now you tell me. That's 16. Of over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. Who knows the beginning from the end? Who could possibly do that? That is impossible to arrange from a human level. And this is what, these are the words Daniel said. No, what you're asking is impossible. But what are the next two words? But God. I think I need that on a t-shirt. I don't know about you. This is impossible. But God. 
The future makes God known to us. He says, a great God has made known to the king, and then he goes through the image. Okay, let's make sure we have the image. The image, the head, right? The head is of what substance? Gold, which I'm going to tell you, uh, there's debate about this, but I'm just going to throw out there what empire I think it represents. Okay, we know the head of gold represents who? Babylon. Okay, the chest and arms are silver. I believe that's Persia, the next empire that rose. The middle and the thighs are bronze. I personally believe that's the Greeks. What was the one thing that was distinct that was said about the bronze? There was some added uh, lingo. Y'all got this. I know you do. To talk about filling the whole earth. You're going to make me look it up. When it talks about the bronze, it adds a few, it adds some stuff. Mm. Why can I not find it? So before you, in the middle of bronze. Maybe it's in the interpretation. Yeah. Hold on. Yep. Do you see verse 39? Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which what? Shall rule over all the earth. To me, that's uh, depicting the Greeks talking about what is Alexander the Great known for? Yeah, his exploration throughout, basically throughout all the earth. The legs, okay, are iron. And then we're going to see that the feet are partly iron and clay. Um, that is the Roman Empire at some point. And, the Ro and iron, what does it talk about? The, the quality of that iron that it crushes, right? So it's a strength. It's the power of the Roman Empire. But at some point, what will happen to it? It will become fragmented, all right? And it will, um, in its fragmentation, it is going to retain some quality of its strength, but it is going to be weak because it's going to be fragmented. And that, that is what he is foretelling, he then goes on and he says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory. Whoa. Does that uh, bring any thoughts to your mind? That language. Read through that language. Okay, verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory. What does that remind you of? How about the Lord's Prayer, right? Which is saying, how do we pray? Pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? And at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Let's some, get used to the language because it reminds you of what is happening here. So he is saying, you pray my 
kingdom come. And right here, he is saying, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven, what? Has given. All right. Has given. You need to understand. You need to underline that. That God has given you right now the power and the might and the glory. And he goes on and says, and into whose hand, there it is again, he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Okay, we're going to see that he represents the the highest of value necessarily of the kingdoms. We're going to see after him, the kingdoms will be somewhat inferior to him. In other words, they will be relative in value and strength. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And so, but right here, you have this ultimate kingdom that God has given him. And it says that he has given into his hands the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the air, making you rule over them all. Okay, that's a lot to say. And what does that language remind you of? I heard it over here to my left. Genesis, right? So, when did we ever have... Okay, this, this whole picture is the image of a man, kingdoms, right, being given dominion to rule. So we have all the kingdoms of the earth symbolized in an image that God has given power to. So where do we find another place in scripture where mankind is referred to as an image? Genesis it's all, when I ask you that question, it's always on the first page of the Bible, usually. That's where everything got started. Look at Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in the individual man, right? We bear the image, we, we bear the image of God, but also in the, the relationship of male and female, how we operate in relationship should also display the image of God. And then it goes on and says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over what? the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. So he shows that all has been entrusted to him. He has been given dominion, image, dominion over the earth, over the animals. The word image is Salem. This is how you spell it. T-S-E-L-E-M. And it is the word for image or the word for statue. And there's also a root word in there that means to shade, which I always found interesting, especially when I was talking to young people. It reminded me of a shadow that we were made in God's image. We did not have all of his detail, right? But we were made to stay near whatever he did, what? We, does your shadow do something you don't do? No, we were his shadow. I thought that is such a beautiful picture. But um, we were made in the image of God. So we were relational. Uh, we are creative. We live, uh, we have a unique creative capacity. 
We remake the world using raw materials we've been given. We cultivate it. In many instances, we're constantly recreating the world. And we were given dominion. We rule. We're not as familiar with that word today. Think about it. We don't rule. And in our world today, we don't see that much. I laugh because, you know, my kids used to get aggravated because I would say, oh no, I'm the queen of this castle. What I say goes, right? And have you ever had that button pushed on you? And what happens? This, something comes out, right? You're like, no, I rule. But we were given the ability to rule. Nebuchadnezzar has been given great responsibility. But even the greatest king is just an image of the real thing. When we look back through history, we're reminded once again that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when we have that kind of power, people die when we wake up in a bad mood. You need to understand the amount of power this man had, the power that he was wielding, but he needs to understand who gave it to him. God gave it to him. When humans have that much power, they usually use it to preserve their own interests. Nebuchadnezzar may be powerful, but he's just an image. We were designed to reflect and embody God's image all over the world. And when we forget that, we become obsessed with our own. And that is what the next chapter is going to be about. And it, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite chapters. And I'm going to tell you, it's a chapter that is the most well-known because it is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to an image and getting thrown into the fiery furnace. And the majority of people know it because of talking vegetables. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, in order to put it in a cartoon to children, we have literally taken away some of the, the deepest of meanings from that chapter. And the sad thing is adults, we typically simplify it. We, we don't go any deeper than we did as children into that chapter. And it's, it's huge. So whatever you do, don't miss next week. Okay? So here are some of the points that Nebuchadnezzar um, needs to understand. And it's points that they, the people in exile too. The fact is, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will not be here forever. That's one thing that he is hearing. It is temporary. It is impermanent. That's bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Now there was good and bad. The good is that he had dominion over all, like there will not be another empire like his. He is the head of gold. But the fact is, he is going to be conquered by someone who is inferior than him, and he just heard it. It is temporary. And so that is discouraging to Nebuchadnezzar, but how is that encouraging to Daniel and those that are in exile? He won't stay in power forever. It's temporary. It's, imper it's impermanent. Wait it out. Right? What do we know? Don't make permanent choices based on temporary situations. Wait it out. Can you see back in your life how you just thought something was the worst that could ever possibly be? You can't live through it. And what did you learn? Wait it out. Right? There are seasons, there are bad times where, you know, we can have one, one leader now or one situation now, but if you wait it out, things change. But what never changes? God. God never changes. Don't ground yourself 
Don't ground your identity into an imperfect, temporary, worldly kingdom. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to really think about it. Don't ground your identity into an imperfect, temporary, worldly kingdom. We have dual citizenship. Which one takes precedent? The heavenly kingdom. Do not make your identity all about a temporary worldly kingdom. When we deify our own power and authority, when we fail to recognize God, the natural progression of the kingdoms of men is a downgrade. When we deify our own power and authority, when we fail to recognize God, the natural progression of the kingdoms of men is a downgrade. We're going to talk about that more next week, and I'm going to show you that in our history. When we begin to deify our kingdom, when we say things like, to, um, to serve Hitler is to serve Germany is to serve God. When we deify our own power and authority and we fail to recognize God, the natural progression of kingdoms of men is a downgrade. The things that we are capable of, the atrocities that we are capable of when we do that. We learn that in, this, in the image, each uh, material is somewhat of a downgrade. Okay? There is no system of government that has absolute value. And so if you remember in chapter 1, what is, what is one of the things Nebuchadnezzar did? When he conquered Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple, he took some of the articles from the temple and what did he do? He put them in the temple of his God. And we talked about how basically he uh, made God relative. He put him along with all the other <clears throat> all the other gods, right? And so what is happening here is God is like, no, you are mistaken. You have made me, you think you're absolute. You have made me relative. Oh no, what you need to know in this chapter, I'm absolute. You are relative. And if you look at the image, it does decrease in, in, in value, but it is relative. It's relative in value and in strength. Um, you see this glorious empire of Babylon, but yet you see the reach of the Greeks and you see the strength of the Romans. You see positive and negatives in different empires, and they're all relative. But the main point is this, what? None of them will last. None of them will last. But God will. Human kingdoms come and go. They are temporary. Do not place your hope and identity in them. I'm part of a permanent kingdom. How about you? I know where I'm headed. This is all going to be kingdom language. So then there's the rock. In the, in the um, dream, the rock that comes forth, it's not made by the hand of man. And this rock strikes the image, where? In the feet, where it is weak, it trips it. That's a key word. The stone trips it. And when it does, it falls and it smashes into pieces and the wind comes and blows it away. And there's 
There's nothing left of it. It seems violent, doesn't it? This rock smashing and destroying. Do you realize that Jesus quoted Daniel a lot? I mean, he referred to himself constantly as what? The son of man, which comes from Daniel chapter 7. But he quoted Daniel very often. Josephus tells us that this very chapter with this image fueled many Jewish revolts against Rome. Why? What were they attempting to do? They were attempting to usher in God's kingdom by revolting, by crushing, by violence. They were bringing it about. But the problem is they pictured God's kingdom as what? An earthly one, in other words, a Jewish kingdom that's setting up the kingdom of Israel. And so they saw it as an earthly one. We saw that with the triumphal entry. Do you remember that? Jesus comes in. Um, he's riding on a donkey um, the, after the resurrection of Lazarus. The religious leaders are determined they're going to kill him. It's done. They're, they have decided to kill him. But before they can do it, before they can arrest him privately and put him to death, they look up and the entire world seems to be hailing him as king. <clears throat> He's riding into Jerusalem. The crowds are coming everywhere. And what are they singing? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which comes from Psalm 118, which we're going to see again in just a minute, but Psalm 118 about uh, the Messiah that is to come. And basically they are saying, the Lord is on my side. Um, he is coming with salvation. Um, the Lord uh, give us strength. It is all of this. And they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What else are they doing? They pick up palm branches and they're waving palm branches. The palm branch is the symbol of Jewish independence. I've taught you this before. Um, it was really made popular in the days of, do you remember? <laughs> Judas Maccabeus. So speaking of the Gentile empires, when the empire, thank you, when the Greeks came to power, Right? They were forcing everyone to be Hellenized, to become Greek. Why? Because, the, I mean, they have basically conquered the whole known earth empire, and they want everyone to be Greek. And so they have come into Jerusalem, and they're going to enforce these Jewish people who now have come back to their land because the Persians let them come back. And they have rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls, reestablished their way of life. Ezra read the word to them and they had a huge revival. And so they're operating as Jewish people under this Greek empire and a horrible person. So Alexander the Great dies. When he dies, he breaks his whole empire up into four generals. One is... Well, they're all bad, but one is seriously bad. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes, and he comes in, and I am telling you what. You want to talk about violence. So not only did he put foreign gods, he erected foreign gods in their temple. He offered a pig on their altar. He stuffed pork down the priest's throat, and he killed in such violent way just a numerous amount of Jewish people. Well, there was a family called the Maccabees that were a family of priests, a rural family of priests that had, he had seven sons and one of his sons, Judas Maccabeus, leads one of the greatest revolts ever against the Greeks and he wins. 
And he comes in riding in triumphantly on his white horse and they pick up palm branches and they wave palm branches at him. So that is the symbol of Jewish independence. It's like us waving the flag. You got it? <clears throat> so when they're waving palm branches at Jesus, what they're saying is that they hope Jesus will do to the Romans what Judas Maccabeus has done to the Greeks. And so this is what they are thinking he is here to do, is to set up this kingdom to crush the kingdoms of the Gentiles and set up a Jewish earthly kingdom. And many of these revolts are forcing this issue. And Daniel chapter 2 is in the back of their mind. But they have forgotten that he rode in on what? a donkey, and that is from Zechariah 9, which talks about, see Israel, see daughter of Zion, your king comes in humble and lowly and riding on a donkey. He's not humble because he's riding a donkey. A donkey is the royal mount. And so kings rode in on donkeys all the time. You can go back to the Old Testament. Saul did. The point is not that he's humble. The point is he's coming in peace. It is what you ride in when you come in peace. And Zechariah 9 says that when the Messiah comes, that he will come with salvation and he will come preaching peace to all nations. And so they, they miss that. So no wonder, I mean, they're thinking, I mean, the disciples are like, yes, this is happening uh, we are finally going viral. We are beginning this kingdom. So you can imagine how shocked they were when they go into the upper room. And do you remember what they're talking about on the way into the upper room? They're arguing. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. Well, of course they are. Because if you think he's setting up an earthly kingdom, there's positions and you want them. And so they're arguing over this. So they had to be totally shocked when he comes in, takes off his outer garment, wraps his waist in a towel, and washes their feet. And he is basically saying to them, yes, the only positions in my kingdom are that of a servant. You're misunderstanding what kind of kingdom we're building here. You see, I have a cross coming. And if you're going to follow me, you have a cross coming too. And then if you remember after this, they go in and then he tells them things they can be assured of, but then they go into the garden and the king is arrested. And do you remember what Peter does? He pulls out, well, yes, but at, when he gets arrested, he pulls out the sword and Jesus looks at him and goes, Peter, if you start that, where will that end? That's earthly kingdom way. That's not how we're going to do it. You put that sword up because one day you're not going to pick up a sword. You're going to pick up a cross. My friend and I just talked the other day about it is the same thing when you see Abraham preparing to sacrifice Isaac. When God asked for that sacrifice, that human sacrifice, sacrifice this human, and he picks up a sword to plunge into his heart and God disarms him and instead provides the sacrifice, the lamb. This is how you build a heavenly kingdom. And he's trying to get this in their mind. And then he goes and continuing this kingdom idea, the king is whipped. 
is given a royal robe. A royal robe is put on him. They hand him a scepter. Go back and read this stuff about the crucifixion. A crown of thorns. He is lifted up. That same word to be lifted up, you know, on his throne, which is the what? The cross. There is a sign put over him. He is declared what? The king of the Jews. And they kill him. But then what? Three days later, he rises. The stone was rolled away and the kingdom of God triumphed. And then, I'm telling you what, it blew doors. Because at that point, when the Holy Spirit came and took up residency inside of believers, what did we see happen at Pentecost? The doors blew open. And the different nations came together as one in Christ Jesus, the beginning of a heavenly kingdom, which God had been preaching all along. Jesus came and says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Holy Spirit will come in, and it is our job to then what? Bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And we are building the church. The kingdom of God would invade the kingdoms of men. And this is what he is telling them in the upper room. I have told you all of these things so that in me, you will have peace. Why? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have conquered the world. Well, when did he do that? When did he conquer the world? The cross. Look at Colossians. Colossians. Ephesians, Colossians, if that helps you. Oh, sorry. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I need to sing my song. Did y'all learn the song of the books of the Bible? Yeah. Let's just read a few. Ephesians, I mean, now you got me confused. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Look at Colossians 1.26 and 7. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the beginning of the kingdom, the hope, never lose hope. Christ in us, this heavenly spiritual kingdom. And then look at Colossians 2, 14. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What did he do? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, tri, triumphing, <laughs> why can I say that? Over them in him. And that in him can also be in it. 
which is the cross. The cross. The cross makes a public spectacle of the human condition. The cross and the resurrection was the victory. It was conquering the kingdoms of this world. The cross makes a public spectacle of the human condition. When given the opportunity, man will kill their God. This is what we do with absolute power. Which, by the way, he is telling them, you really don't have. I do. God not only has the power to destroy the body, but what? The soul, Scripture says. But instead, I laid down my life for you, and I raised it up again. That is something Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood. Because they understood, and the king began to understand, he did not have control over them. Because he thought one absolute fear of every man alive was death. And he met three guys who that was not the absolute fear. They did not fear death. Above that, they feared God. And that was the difference. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. There is a clear reference to Daniel chapter 2 in the stone that I want you to see in Luke 20, 18. Go there. Okay, from here on, I'm going to start giving you breadcrumbs. <clears throat> you can put them all together in your study this week, um, and then I'm going to tie it up, hopefully, in something smart, but I don't really know what that is yet. Okay. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. What, what did I tell y'all? Luke 20? Okay. Yep. Actually, I'm going to read uh, from 9 on. Okay, so Luke, we're going to read the parable of the wicked tenants. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. Now, you need to understand that the kingdom of God is often represented by a vineyard. So think about that. Okay? A man planted a vineyard <clears throat> and, let it out, and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? Guess where he sends them? Psalm 118. What did I tell you that psalm was about? The coming Christ, the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They take him to Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the foundation stone, right, of this kingdom that is being built. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. 
And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That is a direct reference to Daniel chapter 2, this stone Jesus. I want you to see a few other ones. Look at Isaiah 8, 14 through 15. It says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a stone of what? Stumbling. A stone to the feet. Okay, are you with me? Isaiah 8. 14, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a stone of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. This idea of Jesus, the stone, hitting the feet, tripping up, toppling, top heavy, destroying the kingdoms. All of this is symbolic in this, that he has come and he will crush the empires. But here's the thing. It's so interesting. He destroyed them at the cross. Right? So in, in many ways, he crushed the empires by allowing them to crush him. He builds a kingdom upside down. He lays down his life. Peter, put down your sword. You're going to pick up a cross. And he says to all of us, if you follow me, you will pick up a cross. It is upside down. We do not build earthly empires. They are temporary. They have not a very good footing. There is strength to them, but there's weakness. Clay reminds me of sand. I built my house on shifting sand. This is not the absolute. He's outside. We see it when he's talking to uh, Peter at Caesarea Philippi, and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, right? Upon what? Upon the truth of the gospel, the cross. Upon Peter, who is the little stone, who is going to go out and begin to build this kingdom by laying down his life. So you're seeing the stone grow into the mountain that will fill the whole earth. And the stone behind, the rock behind, has no power. None. We will storm the gates of hell. Why? They're defeated absolutely defeated. They have no power over the kingdoms of heaven. They cannot defeat them. It is a done deal. But yet there is this element in that picture of the stone that breaks up that image and is swept away. There is a future element to when we begin to see how God brings the completion, the fulfillment, everything into fruition with the second coming of Christ. Right? We see that. One day he will make all things new. But the fact is today, I know I'm going over, I can't help it, I, I can't stop right now. Um, the fact is today, we are called, we are a part of the kingdom of heaven, we are in Christ Jesus, we are filled with the spirit of God, and our job is to live on this earth as if we are living in the kingdom of God. 
I mean, think about that. Go back and read some of Isaiah of what that kingdom will be like. That is how we bring that about on this earth and we're a part of it. And one day when the time of the Gentiles is complete, the son of God will return and, and establish it. But our job is to live out that kingdom. And this is the message of Daniel. Earthly kingdoms are temporary. They do not have a firm foundation because they take power that was given an image. The Jewish people were God's people, God's nation to be his image so that the world could see him through them. He said, don't put me in an image. You're my image. Live out the image. I have blessed you so that you will be a blessing. And this is what we are called to do. And it does not matter what temporary earthly empire we live in. It's temporary. We have dual citizenship. So after you read the parable of the tenants in Luke 20, what is the next deal? The very next thing, the Pharisees are trying to trap him and they say, okay, then what do we do about Caesar? Do we pay taxes? Do you see what's happening here? So then who do we honor? He goes, we'll give Caesar what Caesar's. But give God's what is God's. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to decide in the next chapter. Because remember, give Caesar what is Caesar's. Their names are changed. They've been educated. They're wearing Babylonian clothes. They, they have government jobs. But when it comes down to us bowing down and worshiping an earthly government or empire as if they are God, no way. You do not have absolute power. You are relative and you are temporary. But my God, he's outside of that. He has absolute power. And that is the kingdom that I will stand for. And I, I don't know how you're going to apply that to your life uh, today. And we're going to explore that a little bit more, a lot more in the next chapter. But I think I've given you enough to look um, at the image and the stone and all of that. But my main thing is for you to realize this is kingdom business. We are part of a heavenly kingdom. And the amazing mystery of the power of God's spirit abiding in me as the temple of God and being able to live that kingdom out on this earth. I am a part of the stone that the builders rejected that became a cornerstone that defeated the empires of the world. And that stone will grow into the holy mountain of God, the people of God. I'm a part of that. And I look forward to the day where all things are complete. But until then, we are called to endure and to remain faithful. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, I pray that I was able to explain to the best of my ability this marvelous mystery. Nebuchadnezzar is not absolute. He's not in power. You are. And God, when, when we're given power and we begin to build kingdoms and we rule, whew, man, it just corrupts. We can't handle it. And the atrocities that we are capable of when we are drunk on power. 
the fact that mankind can be confronted by God and when we meet our God, we kill him. Blows my mind. So Lord, I just pray that you would help me put down the sword and take up the cross to be filled with a Holy Spirit power and to exhibit a love that will blow people away, to live on this earth as if I am already in your kingdom and to be able to add many, many more into the kingdom of heaven with that kind of love. Lord, continue to teach us, continue to teach me. I pray that you would just... Um, really bring about a curiosity of the scripture in the lives of these women as they look at all of this beautiful language and Lord above all your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven amen